Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. And this is going to be one of our updates on a current story. So, Crystal, would you like to talk about what's going on? Yeah, so today, January 25th, 2023, jury selection and pretrial motions were completed in the Alec Murdoch case and opening statements began. I now saw some of that as you were watching it, and this looks like this might end up being a very animated case, just watching the two lawyers that I saw going back and forth. There's a bit of theatrics going on. So Assistant District Attorney Creighton Waters laid out the state's case against Alec Murdoch, who was accused of murdering his wife Maggie and his son Paul on June 7th, 2021. Okay. Waters explained to the jury that Alec shot Maggie with a rifle, an AR-style rifle, that used 300 blackout ammunition and shot Paul with a shotgun. Neither murder weapon has been found, but they do have evidence that he owned those weapons. That seems rather significant. It's said that he bought two of those rifles around 2016 as a gift for his sons, one for Buster and one for Paul. And it's said that Paul is irresponsible with things okay, and that his got stolen. So Alec bought another one in 2018 as a replacement. And so now they would have had two guns, and one of them is accounted for okay. and is not the murder weapon. But the second one is missing. And that is the AR gun or yes. the shotgun that's missing? This is the AR. The one Well, they're both stolen. missing. The shotgun, they don't the have The two the weapons that were actually used to commit the crime. Are not in this case. They do not have either the shotgun or... The AR-15. But do they know that those missing weapons were the ones that were used in the crime? What they do know is that they found shells, shotgun casings, and um, 300 ammunition, 300 blackout ammunition. Which is an ammunition, not a firearm, correct? Right, right. That they found those casings on the property because it's a hunting property. and Like everything in South Carolina. Yeah, and those have the same markings on them as the ammunition that was used to kill both Bangy and Paul. And that is a very unique identifier. Right, they've been ejected from the same gun. They don't know what gun, but the same gun. So that's not something that could coincidentally happen. These are extremely unique, like fingerprints, right? It is. So that seems kind of uh, an interesting development that... Did you know about this before? I did know that they found ammunition that matched the murder weapons, uh, well, the bullets that murdered. But the thing is, they don't have the weapon to compare it to, so that's a problem. That would be uh, in any murder trial. Not having the weapon used is probably going to be very difficult, I would assume, for the prosecution. Yes, but it's a highly circumstantial case, and they want you to use all the pieces they're going to present to put it together. Cell phone evidence is going to be a real key in this case. According to Creighton Waters, Paul recorded a video at 8.44 and 55 seconds, this is PM, while he was at the dog kennels. He says they know this because Paul was keeping a dog for a friend, and he had been talking to the friend, and they thought there was something wrong with the dog's tail. So Paul was making a video to send to his friend about the dog, and this friend is going to testify, according to Creighton. To testify that, that he was he speaking with Paul. Was speaking with Paul and what time he was speaking with mm-hmm. Paul. And what they were talking about. And I imagine if he sent him videos or something via text, he has his phone 
that would show the timestamps and the thing of that nature as to when he received these videos or texts. It will. And they're going to show this video to the jury. And the state says, in this video, you're going to hear the voices of Paul, Maggie, and Alec in the background. That Alex said that he was not there that night, right? right? He has previously stated that he was never at those dog kennels on that night. Has he retracted that, or is that what he's still standing by? He has not. He said that after ta- after dinner with Maggie and Paul, he took a nap, and when he woke up, he left and went to his mother's house, and he never went down there until he found when them later. When did he say that he woke up and went to his mother's house? Nine. And these crimes happened at approximately what time? Um... Right at nine oh something, like right before that. So he's saying that these Paul crimes still, happened and he didn't know they happened. And so he just left and went to his mother's house and was not aware that something had gone on. Yeah, 844, Paul's still alive because he's talking to his friend. And so 849 and one second, Paul's phone locks and never opens again. So you know how you close so your phone. So they're able to know when the phone locks. Yeah. That's something that's traceable. Right. I was not aware of that. Mm-hmm. And 849 and 35 seconds, that friend of his that he'd been talking to sent him a text or a call, and Paul doesn't respond. So this is And if he a- has an iPhone, which I don't know if that's what he had or not, and Google may do this too with their phones, but most of them will show you that if a message has been delivered even if it hasn't been opened and read mm-hmm. i know yeah, ours yeah. do that so if it says delivered that means it got to the phone but maybe didn't it wasn't looked at looked at mm-hmm. so his phone wasn't open so his phone stopped work stopped opening at eight forty nine and one second 30 seconds later maggie's phone locks and has never opened again okay so this is about when they think it happens around this time. And that's still just circumstantial. You, that, it doesn't prove anything. It's right. just, it just seems to coincide with the it's time of events that they're It's a very narrow window out. of time because Paul, I mean, Maggie and Paul, you know, are using their phones. And then Alec, who is usually always on his phone like most people, doesn't have any, hardly any activity between the hours of 8 and 9 on his phone which is very unusual for him. Is that something that he could have modified on his phone? Maybe he left his phone in the house while he's down at the dog kennels, which he says he wasn't there. We Assuming just don't know yet. that he was at the dog kennels. We don't well, know that he they was. They say they have a video with his voice in the background at the dog, the dog kennels. In the dog kennels. So yes. I guess that well, Paul's would, video and the dog. So you Maggie know that's and, where he is because he, you can tell he's in that kennel. Right. They're going to have people testify that that's his voice in the background, that people that are familiar with him. Okay, so there isn't much activity on his phone from 8-something to 9.02. And, you know, they know 8.49 is when Paul last used the phone. It closed. Also Maggie's phone 30 seconds later. 9.02, Alec calls Maggie. She doesn't answer. I think he calls her twice and she doesn't answer. So he sends her a quick text and says that he's going down to see his mother in Almeida and that he'll be right back. So as soon as he leaves, he gets in the car at nine oh six at nine oh one, and then is you know that's when he's texting her. Okay. Nine oh six is confirmed that he he sends the text message because she doesn't answer the calls. So he stays at his mom's house till nine forty four. So that's a very short amount of time. He's only there twenty minutes. You know, there's the drive time, and then he's there for twenty minutes. So they live relatively close to each other. I think it's about a twenty minute drive. I'm not positive on that, but that would be a very brief visit. Yeah. So he does go to his mother's house, and she has a caretaker because she has Alzheimer's, and 
the caretaker is set to testify about yes. what goes on there. And then he gets back to Moselle at 10.01 and calls 911 at 10.06 when he has discovered the bodies. And they're going to show the body cam video and crime scene video, like from their body cams. and Where they respond. And pictures, yeah. Will be shown to the jury. I'm about to say, they're not going to show that to the public, I would assume. I doubt it. It's going to be to Unless the jury. it's heavily edited and oh, yeah. after the fact, I would, I would think. And a pathologist is going to testify about their gruesome injuries. And on the 911 call and body cam, he's heard saying, this is about the boat case. So they, they're suggesting that he's trying to give a suggestion of what it's, you know, trying to paint a picture here, get okay. people's minds going towards why this happened. Because like you said in one of our previous episodes, he tried to paint this as somebody taking revenge against yeah, his family. Yeah, someone's targeting his family. Yeah. So, it seems like a weird thing to bring up on the crime scene. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So Creighton Waters, he's quite the storyteller, and he's painting a picture of what he calls a perfect storm that was building in Alec Murdoch's life. And he's going to lay that all out for them, he says. And I think he did a pretty good job. And he said that he did stress that it's complicated, and he really wants them to pay close attention and try to piece it all together because it is circumstantial. Like we said, they don't have a yeah. murder weapon. They don't have fingerprints. According to the defense, they don't have any forensics tying Alec to the scene. That seems like so a we'll very out. sketchy place to be. So that's the state's opening. And the defense opening statement, Dick Harputlian gets up and immediately the first thing he does is he presents Alec to the jury. He has him stand up and he's like trying to, you know, humanize, humanize him. him. And he presents him as a loving husband and father and says that he's going to hear, he's going to have many witnesses come up and testify that their relationships were all good and that they had just gone to a football game the previous weekend and that all was good. He's going to show a video from that night of a Snapchat that Paul had uh, sent to his friends where Paul and Alex were riding around the property. They were looking at some trees. I guess they had like an ATV. And they were looking at some trees they had planted and they were laughing and having a good time. So he's like, it's just impossible to believe that, you know, these relationships with his family, you know, he's it's a loving father having some moment with his son, and then just a few minutes later, he's going to turn around and shoot him in the head. That is hard to reconcile. Yeah, he, he went into graphic detail about how Paul and Maggie were murdered, and he's like, it's just unbelievable that, the, that he could do this, and that he just doesn't think that it's possible. And as he's, ta- as he's talking to the jury, Alec is looking very upset. He's... He's wiping his face. Yeah, with he was a, tearing up. I saw that. He's wiping his face with a tissue. So Dick claims that the cell phone records are inaccurate and incomplete, which we're going to find out later when they testify, when they have the experts testify. We'll see why he says that. Maggie's phone was thrown about a quarter of a mile away from the property, and they found it using use a Find My iPhone. Which is a very useful tool. Yeah, and they said to do that, that Alec had to give them the passcode and that if he was, you know, not on the up and up, he wouldn't have volunteered this information. He allowed them to check his house that night, you know, so if he had, like, stashed bloody clothes or something, because they, the they didn't find then, anything. You know, it's it's likely that if he had done that, then he's got to think, hey, they'll find it. And he wants to take the jury down to the property to see the actual distance between the house and the kennels. And to just say get a feel. That, hey, 
maybe gunfire could have happened and he's wouldn't have woken him up. Is that maybe well, that what they're trying to and say? And the fact, because they're making a sort of a deal out of how he drove down there instead of walking and how, you well, know. People hop on golf carts and ATVs and country places all the time. Or like why he sent a text instead of walking down there and saying, hey, why don't you guys want to, do you guys want to go with me to see mom instead of texting them? But I think, you well, know. Well, heck, I send you a text yeah, from downstairs yeah, to upstairs. I don't find that odd because so we do text each other in the same house. So Maybe I, people that don't use phones. Yeah. And who could that yeah, be I don't find I don't find that unusual. 70 plus maybe. Yeah, I don't find that unusual. And he says that there was no blood on Alec despite the large amounts of blood at the scene. So they're saying this happened in a very short window of time, possibly 10 minutes. So if he was covered in blood and he had to go up to the house and change, where would he have put the clothes? Unless he took them and disposed of them. So they took them when he went to his mother's house, possibly. possibly. Conjecture, of course. And he says that the police jumped to conclusions immediately that it was him. And because they issued a statement to the public saying there was no danger to the community right away. Which, why would they say that if they didn't think they had the suspect yeah, he that says, had done it? Yeah, he says they're trying to push a square peg into a round hole. Because otherwise, it'd be like, time. there's a killer on the loose. Mm-hmm. Stay indoors. Right, and this brutality of this murder, like, wouldn't you be afraid? Yeah, because remember, we didn't even have somebody kill somebody back when we lived in Stanley. Remember, there was this one time, this guy that was... Being chased by the cops was just running through backyards. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I, didn't they come and tell you to stay in the house? They did, and they checked our shed. So this guy He probably, was just like one house down from us, too. And, and the, this guy probably was just a petty thief or something. Yeah. And this guy, they know that somebody literally just brutally murdered two people. Right. And don't know who it was. Mm-hmm. So why are you not putting out a warning to people, hey, get indoors yeah, so he's basically saying they had tunnel vision and we're only looking at Alec from the beginning. That's uh, that's what what it sounds like. And he says it really doesn't matter if he had been to the dog kennels that night or not. If he because you know under that amount of stress, you might say, you know, I wasn't here, I wasn't there. I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's not really relevant. He thinks if he had walked down to the kennels or not that night, it doesn't mean he killed him. It's his property, mm-hmm. and you know it's not unusual, I would assume, for him to go to a dog kennel on his property. He's saying there will be no eyewitnesses to the crime, no forensics, no fingerprints, no blood spatter, any of that that ties him to the crime. So we'll see about that. So it sounds like, from what you're saying, that at best, they'll have circumstantial evidence in this case. Right. And he's saying, was there two shooters? He's trying to get that into their into their heads. Because of two different types of guns. guns. Says that Maggie was running away when she was shot. So they believe Paul was killed first and she heard it and saw it and ran. And he basically says that the state is presenting smoke like it's just a bunch of smoke. And he said, you have to presume that Alec is innocent. And that I think that's hard to do when the media has basically convicted him. That's true. I mean, people are going to have preconceived notions in their head, and uh, you're going to sometimes have that reinforced by the media. Mm-hmm. And so you're already saying he's guilty, because I told you earlier when you told me about the evidence that they pr- produced so far. And what I think is, from what I've seen, even if I thought he likely could have done it, I don't see how there's going to be enough evidence to make me, if I was a juror, be able to say, this man, beyond a reasonable doubt, committed this crime. 
So far, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Unless something comes out that they haven't really revealed yet. Mm -hmm. But both lawyers from each side know all the evidence that is in this case to this point. So it seems like if there's some really bad thing for the defense's case, since you said Dick Carpootlian came out and was already, what did you say, that he had something stricken from the record? Yeah, because they're talking about a week after the crime, Alec, supposedly went to his mother's house carrying what looked like a blue tarp and was later discovered to be a blue rain jacket and that it did have gunpowder residue inside it. Which, if it's a rain jacket and they fire guns all the time, it might have gunpowder yeah. residue on it. How do you just know when it happened? He huh? might have been out hunting. Yeah, who knows? But my point that I was going to make is if there was some kind of evidence that they knew about, since he already said something he knew was going to get stricken from the record, it seems like he would have tried to get out in front of that. If he's already willing to just go ahead and start putting stuff out there, it seems like he would have thrown that in too. So there must not be anything that's going to come out and everybody's going to gasp and be like, oh, I can't believe this. Well, like a smoking gun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess that was was sort of roundabout Mm -hmm. going to say that. But the thing is... A trial can be entirely based on circumstantial evidence, and you can get a conviction that way. If you can put all of those pieces together and make it clear to the jury that this is what happened, and that, I mean, he comes out saying, Alec did this, Alec shot him, shot both of them. And if you can make the jury believe that, then you can get a conviction that way. And you saw that there's a the makeup of the jury. They they revealed the genders and races of the people that are in the jury. And you were telling me that your thoughts on that are that well, there's eight they women. could possibly be sympathetic there's to eight, him. There's eight women and there's four men. And that could work to his favor. They could be more th- sympathetic. But it could also work against him because they're likely mothers, wives. So if you're and thinking if about what happened— to th- think that maybe yeah, he that could, could have, have done it, child. then they would be more likely maybe to be against him yeah. just naturally. It's really of, hard to say. Because I think everyone feels like no matter what he, if he did or he didn't, he does deserve a fair trial. I, I think that's what Dick is trying to drive home. He's like, you that, that were selected, you people that were selected for this jury have said that you can be fair and it is your job to look at him and say he's innocent until the state proves otherwise. So that was the gist of his his opening And not statement. have that preconceived, yes. hey, you're guilty, and now you have to prove that to me you that you're not. I need all the evidence that's going to sway my mind. you got to come in. I think when you say proven that you're innocent until proven guilty, you come in basically without a preconceived notion is what he's saying mm-hmm. rather than— because that sort of, to me, has always felt like they're saying, you have to have this decision already made, mm-hmm. and that has to be swayed. But it sounds more like you come in without thinking, oh, this guy did it. But you come in, and you just hear all these facts. And then you're like, do these facts weigh enough to make you think, yeah, he probably did this? In such a high-profile high case, I don't see how it's possible for someone to come in and know nothing about it at all. Especially people from that area. From County. and. Because he's such a so well-known sure person in that area. Even if they with. don't want to have their own preconceived notions, I think it's impossible to not have some sort of opinion one way or the other coming in. But I think what he's asking them to do is to try to put that aside and look at this man and decide once you hear everything from everybody over the course of the next couple of weeks, 
and make a fair decision. And I think hopefully that will happen. And on court TV, they had one of the jurors that was not selected mm-hmm. come up and they interviewed her for a few seconds. So you can sort of see that right off the bat, this lady sounded like she probably would have been sympathetic to him right. based off what she was saying. Because she said, whether he did it or not, I feel bad for him. Right. Which I guess I would, too. She said, either way, he, you know, he's lost his family. His family and basically his, he's going to prison. But if he did it. It's his fault he lost his family. So, But she still sounded like either way, mm-hmm. she's sort of it felt like to me she would lean more towards finding him innocent. Yeah, and I also found it interesting to note in all these other times he's been in court, there hasn't been hardly any family members of his behind him. But today, there are, I think, nine members of his family sitting behind him in support of him, including Buster, his surviving son. If his family thought that he had something to do with this murder, I can't imagine that they would be there to show support. I can't either. And I think that'll speak to the jury in some way. I would think so. Yeah. So I think that they must believe in him. And I really don't know what to think at this point. I want to hear all the evidence. Well, I know where you'll be at 9.30 a.m. tomorrow morning. Yes, I will, as the trial continues. And I guess if maybe there's any more updates, we can... We're trying to bring these little bonus updates here to keep you informed maybe on some of these cases that uh, Crystal was following as they break and stuff that we find interesting and think that you might as well. All right, so let us know if you've been watching, covering, and following the case and what you think. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.